You're listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. All right, well, hey, we are um, carrying on in our series called God of All Things. And we're looking at the character of God, who he is, what he's like by looking at the things he makes. And we've looked at some pretty interesting things so far. What are some of the things we've looked at? Here's a test. Honey, dust, gardens, salt, pigs, cities, bacon. <laughs> That's right. Well, okay, good. Well, today, what we're going to look at, are you ready? <laughs> we're going to look at viruses. Too soon? Too soon, too soon. <laughs> okay, now, I admit, this is a strange thing to be looking at. And while I was preparing this message, I thought to myself, David, what were you thinking? <laughs> I mean, of all the things God has made, this one is a difficult thing to get our heads around. On the other hand, by looking at this thing, we're going to be touching on some pretty big questions that many of us have been asking, oh, I don't know, since 2020. For example, why did the God of all things make this thing called a virus? Now, there's a number of places we can look in Scripture that I think will frame our conversation. Um, I want to look at two passages. Um, first one is going to be right at the beginning is Genesis 1, uh, verses 1 to 3. In honor of God's word, let's stand together as we look at this. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, says this about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Oh, Lord, we need your wisdom, and we need your guidance in this one. Oh, we need it in all things, but especially today. So we pray that you would speak to us. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to respond to what you say to us. We commit this day to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so let's look at what we're talking about. Let's look at these viruses. Do we have some cute pictures of these viruses? No? Do we? We should. Oh, there we go. I'm looking on this screen. It's not there. They're kind of pretty. Well, not, not the Ebola one, but uh, the other one. 
This is what we're looking at. Now, on one hand, yeah, they're kind of funny-looking creatures. On the other hand, I have a hard time knowing what these creatures are and why they exist. You see, there's a lot of things in this world that I don't really like, but if I stretch my imagination, I can understand why they exist. For example, um, mosquitoes. I grew up in Ontario as a kid. It was standard fare. If we went outside, we had to stand, and my mom would just spray us with offs, and then we'd go out and play, right? Because there's so many mosquitoes. And often they're like, what's with mosquitoes? I hate mosquitoes. But if I stretch my imagination, if I put myself in their tiny, tiny little shoes, I can think, okay, I can get it why mosquitoes exist. Uh, I get it why they bite. They bite because they're hungry. I get it why they exist because, you know, other creatures eat mosquitoes like bats. And, you know, bats are okay. Um, same with, you know, hornets. I don't like them. They sting, but I get it. I, I know why they sting because they're feeling threatened. I, I can understand this. What about cats? <laughs> well, from, from latest research, it shows that cats exist in order to keep us humble. <laughs> they remind us that we are not in control. They remind us that we are not as important as we may think we are. <laughs> but viruses, but viruses. I have a hard time putting myself in their shoes. Viruses are weird. They are non-living intercellular parasites that infect living things. Most scientists would say that technically they're not even life forms. They're not life. Viruses are so small that you cannot see them with the naked eye. They cannot replicate unless they're inside the cells of another creature. They are things, I guess. But when I think of viruses, I don't think of things with agency or, or instincts or anything like that. When I sneeze, I seldom think that I'm helping a virus out by uh, reproducing it in the, into other organisms by sending them as projectiles across a room. Nor do I think of me inhibiting their existence by putting my arm over my mouth when I sneeze. I don't think of rabies as a virus that causes dogs like Old Yeller to act aggressively and to bite in order for viruses to replicate themselves in another creature. In my mind, a virus is something you catch. It happens to me. It's a disease that keeps me home for a day or two or maybe sends me to a hospital. When I have a fever or a runny nose or my body aches or my head hurts, I see these as symptoms of simply being sick, not a war that my body is waging against hostile invaders. And typically, I, I don't think about antibodies and how amazing they are that often when if they can defeat a virus once, that virus will never be a threat again. So I don't think of sickness as a war, and I don't think of viruses as things that are created. But here's the thing. They are things, and as things, viruses are scientifically fascinating, but theologically disturbing. Why? 
Well, because there are viruses like smallpox, measles, hepatitis, yellow fever, HIV, and the virus that shall not be named. Um, <laughs> and they are not just diseases and infections that get people a little bit sick, but they've killed millions of people over the centuries. I think about the, the plague of Galen in 165 AD, which most likely was smallpox. And we're in Rome every day. There's, there's stories of you know, over 2,000 people dying of this virus. There's been other viruses of measles and different things. Or I think about the Ebola outbreak in Western Africa between 2013 and 2016 where thousands and thousands of people died because of a teeny tiny virus. Or we can think of something like early 20th century, yellow fever, or more in our day, I'll say, COVID-19. They are things. And this is tricky because we read about how some deadly viruses, I mean, how they, how they operate is kind of tricky because sometimes they can infect you and you don't know you're infected and you've infected a whole bunch of people and then you get sick. Or we read about viruses that can that a mother gets and can infect her unborn child. We read that there's lots and lots of viruses in the world. I did a lot of research on viruses this last week. There's somewhere between 1 to 10 to the 31st power, which is a big number. Apparently, if you laid all the viruses end-to-end, they would stretch for 100 billion light years. That's a lot of viruses. And here's the thing. Every last one of them is sustained by the word of God's power. Now, I don't know about you, but theologically, this is a little problematic. (laughs) How could an all-powerful, all-loving God create viruses, which can only survive by afflicting other creatures and causing their sicknesses and death, causing sickness and death? Now, these are big questions, and I have to say, I have to say, I feel like I'm in over my head on this one. But let's see if we can wrestle with some of these questions together, okay? We begin with a few observations. What are some observations? One, here's the first thing to consider. Not all viruses are bad. Some viruses actually are quite good for the ecosystem, I've learned. Um, There are plants that actually want uh, to have a virus. Like a virus is actually beneficial to certain plants um, because it prevents them from being uh, eaten by predators. There's even some thought that up to 50% of our DNA has been shaped and formed over, over the millennia by viruses. And so, before we go any further and we, you know, we take a a shot at these poor little viruses, we have to give a shout out to the good ones, right? Well done, boys. Okay, so there's the good ones. But I say these are just some of them because we know, secondly, that viruses like like HIV, like uh, COVID, I won't say HOV lane, no, that's that's a different one. (laughs) HIV, like COVID, like yellow fever, like smallpox. Uh, has not been friendly to human beings. And they've been extremely deadly. So how do we make sense of these viruses? Why did God create them knowing fully well that they would be devastating to human beings? 
including people who are often poor and vulnerable, people in cities, urban areas, um, and, and many people that we know and love who have been affected, infected by viruses, especially in these last two years. That's a hard question to answer. But the third, question, the third observation, and this should be an obvious one, is that the Bible actually doesn't talk about viruses, right? It doesn't talk about viruses per se, but it does mention plagues and pestilences, um, which in retrospect, in retrospect probably included viruses, but it doesn't identify them specifically. But what the Bible gives us, though, is a lens. It's a lens through which we can look at our world. And there are places in Scripture that can offer us insight to these thorny theological issues that viruses brings up. So where do we look to find some insight on these issues? Well, one of the places to look, and we can't spend a lot of time at it because it's a whole book, but it's, it's worth reading, is the book of Job. How many of you have ever read the book of Job? Put up your hand. Yeah, quite a few of you. Yeah, so Job is in the Old Testament. The book of Job actually wrestles with the realities of suffering and death in the face of a good and sovereign God. You know, how, is, how come there's suffering and death if God is so good and if he's trustworthy and if he's sovereign? And in the story of Job, and if you haven't read it, you need to read it, we're presented with a thought experiment of sorts. And the thought experiment is this. How do you think of God when disasters strike? And that's what happens in the story. If you know the story, we read about a fellow named Job who had his entire family wiped out in the chaos of a series of disasters. Pretty much everything he had is taken away from him. And here's the sticking point in the book of Job. This is a confusing point. Is that all these bad things happen despite Job's righteousness. This is problematic. Job lived a righteous life. And this messes up how he thinks about God and how a lot of us think about God. Because we, and what we expect from God. Because the assumption is good things ought to happen to good people. I do all the right things. I do things according to your way, God. Things ought to go well. And yet God still allows these bad things to happen. So the question is why? How do you make sense of life when the unexpected happens? How do you make sense of God when he doesn't act how you think he should act? And a lot of us, including myself, we get tripped up here. We say, you know, God, I look, you told me that this is how I'm supposed to live. I did this, and it's, it's come back to bite me. I did everything right at work. I was the only guy at work who did what I was supposed to be doing, and I'm the one who's getting fired. And these guys who've been cheating get away with everything. Or I, you know, I did everything right in my marriage. I did everything right. And yet, here I am. I'm divorced. And a lot of people, you know, I did, I did, I had great plans. I, I, I had really good plans to do good things, and it was about to happen, but everything got shut down because of the stupid virus. 
And so we come back to the question at hand, with, what's with these viruses? How could God allow these viruses to do bad things to, many, to so many good people? A lot of people have lost their livelihoods. People have lost their lives. So how do we make sense of this? Why would God create these things that cause so much chaos in our lives and in our world? Okay, now, let's look a little more closely. I'm going to point our attention to two realities in the Bible. One reality you may know of, you probably know of. One reality you may not know of, okay? And we get this right at the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. If you read the beginning of the Bible, and if you have friends who can help you along the way, I'll give a shout-out to our resident Old Testament scholar, Ivan De Silva, who actually helped me quite a bit in this, as well as there's another guy named John Walton, an Old Testament scholar. He points out there, there's, there's two realities that we find right at the beginning of the Bible. Yes, we have God's good creation, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Okay, that's good. But there's something else that we find, and this is mysterious. Right at the very beginning of the Bible, you find chaos and disorder. Do you notice that? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The, the actual Hebrew is this, this, this phrase, tohu wabohu, which, which means higgly jiggly. It means chaos. That's what it literally means. And there's just this mess right at the very beginning. And it's, so it's described as formless. It's described as, 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 as void and darkness, the deep. And throughout the Old Testament, chaos, chaos shows up again and again. And it's often... Um, symbolized by what? Do you know? By the sea. It's interesting. By the sea. It's a storm. So you think of chaos. And so right from the very beginning, we find God, yes. We find his creative act where God says, let there be, yes. But we also find something else. And that is chaos and disorder. Now this is important especially when it comes to our topic today. God does not explain where chaos comes from or why it's there. But it's there. It is there, and it does bring about chaos in this world. Sometimes this chaos is described as darkness and the sea. Sometimes chaos is, is described in the form of creatures. There's creatures that are chaos creatures. And, and you can think of some of them. You can think of the serpent in the garden. <laughs> this is God's paradise. This is God's, God created the world good, didn't make it perfect. He made it good. And in the middle of this paradise, we find a creature that is bent on causing chaos and destruction. That's weird. We also, it shows up later on in the Bible, and it actually shows up quite a bit in the book of Job. And it shows up in two chaos creatures. Does anybody know what they're called? Yeah, Leviathan and Behemoth. 
Now, we don't know why these forces exist, but they're there, and they work against God's good order in the world. Are they evil? Well, there's debate on that one. They do cause disorder to God's ordered world, and that is a problem. But you think about the chaos that's, that's caused by what? Like earthquakes, by tsunamis, uh, by avalanches, by typhoons, and how they impact the world. They can kill hundreds of thousands of people and can cause serious harm to God's good creation. And so you have these twin realities at play in the Bible. On one hand, God created the world, and he created it good. Not perfect, but good. On the other hand, the biblical view of the world is that it's a place. The world is a place where order and disorder coexist. We live in a world where order is not fully achieved, where order and disorder coexist. So here's what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that one of the thousands of forces of disorder in the world is a virus. Viruses have no will, but they act according to their properties to bring about disorder at a cellular level where once there was order. In many ways, viruses are like... Leviathan, but like way smaller, right? <laughs> they can cause enormous chaos. Think about what we've gone through in these past two years. This teeny tiny microscopic virus shut down the entire world. Now we can't say, okay, well this suffering that the viruses cause is, is directly related to sin in the world. I think viruses existed before the fall. Before Genesis 3. So how do we think about viruses theologically? Well, I would suggest that they belong in this category of chaos creatures. Forces we read about at the beginning of the Bible and in Job. And it teaches us that the suffering we experience in this world can occur in two ways. One, we can experience suffering in this world because of sin. Like an example would be, I don't know. Let's say somebody was saying some dumb joke and somebody came up and slapped them on the platform. <laughs> just, just as a random example. Like that would be, the suffering would be result of, you know, sin, right? <laughs> Too soon? <laughs> <laughs> but here's the other thing. Suffering can also be the result of disorder, chaos that we find in the world. And I think viruses would fit into this category. So what do we do when bad things happen as a result of chaos? Of an avalanche, of cancer, a freak accident, or a viral infection? How does all this square with the goodness of God? Okay, this is a tough one. It's a very tough one because like you, I've lost a lot of friends in these last couple of years. And many of you have lost loved ones. And if you really struggled with these questions. So we're entering kind of the terrain of mystery here. But let, let, me, let me lay out a couple things that you and I need to remember. I remember uh, Dr. Proven when he was here. He says one of, the, one of the spiritual practices that Christians need to embrace is the practice of remembering. Okay? First thing we need to remember is this. We need to remember what time it is. 
We are living in a world that is often described as an already but not yet state. That means the kingdom of God, yes, has broken into this world and has broken in decisively through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and our world and our lives will never be the same again. We can experience the presence and the power of God in our lives here and now, and we can experience incredible things because of God's presence in our hearts with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we get, we get foretastes of what God's kingdom is like, even as we gather here this morning. And yet, and yet, until Jesus returns and history comes to an end, there will be sin and there will be chaos in this world of ours. Wars will, will rage, earthquakes will happen, so will floods, and so will pandemics, and people will die. Second thing we need to remember is that the chaos, and this is so important, the chaos that we see in this world is limited. It's not just a free-for-all. It's not like this world's going to hell in a handbasket, chaos is just going to run amok. No. In fact, that's one of the messages in the book of Job, is yes, there is chaos, but chaos in a way is on a leash. Job, Job thinks everything. He thinks the world is gone, has come undone. He's lost everything. He thinks chaos rules. In fact, he even says, God, you are chaos. That's what Job says. God's response is this. He reminds Job that everything, including the chaos in this world, is under his sovereign control. Chaos is there, but it's limited. And Job and you and I need to trust God in his wisdom rather than thinking that we can solve every mystery. Now, the message of the book of Job is God reminds Job that he is God, that God is God and Job is not. Now, it doesn't mean we aren't to have questions. It doesn't mean we cannot complain or lament. In fact, you read the book of Job, he complains, he laments. Read the Psalms. There's a lot of lament towards God. And you need to know that as part of the Christian life, is we can complain before God. We can lament. Because here's the thing. If you have a complaint in your heart, it's not like God doesn't know about it. So you may as well tell him. And so there's a place for that. We present our questions before God. Third thing that we need to remember is we, we acknowledge that part of our role, we need to remember that part of our role as human beings, and in particular, Christians, is to join God in pushing back against the chaos of this world. That's part of the creation mandate, is to be good stewards over creation, to push back against the chaos. And here's the thing, we have. We have as Christians, we have as human beings. Think about what a hospital is to chaos. A hospital is a way to push back against chaos of sickness. And it's important to remember that 80% of all the world's hospitals were established by Christians, right? But you see other things. Like you see other things. You see vitamins, right? Vitamins are a way to push back against chaos. Medicine is a way to push back against chaos. Um, you think about just the changes in sanitation and the difference that that has brought about. Running water, the flush toilet has saved millions of lives. And this is a way to push back against the chaos. 
cancer treatment, the construction of dikes and levees in the face of flooding, and yes, even vaccines against viruses. And part of being good stewards of this world is to join in the call to push back against the chaos of the world. But fourthly, we need to remember <laughs> that we are not in control. And that's the problem with the modern world. The modern world lives its life as if God does not matter or he doesn't exist. And there's a lot of hubris in this world, thinking that we can get along just fine without God. But here's the reality. We may think we're in control. We may think we can handle anything. But honestly, one asteroid and we're done. One tiny microscopic virus and the world was shut down. We are not in control, but that's okay. That's okay because we trust God in his wisdom and his power. And then we're reminded that ultimately it is God that can bring hope out of the whirlwinds of life, of the chaos of life. The center of our faith is a symbol of suffering. It's a cross. And it reminds us that God, the God we worship, he's, he's not oblivious to the impact that chaos has in our world. And that he meets us in the chaos and he can transform suffering into life. And he does so through the cross. God is in the business of bringing order out of chaos. Remember Jesus when he's on the boat and he's sleeping and there's a storm? Right? They're at sea. The sea represents chaos. And Jesus looks at the storm and says, peace, be still. And that's an important reminder because when you and I face chaos, the chaos will not overwhelm you. That God will grant us his peace in the midst of the chaos. That God is a God who brings us from turmoil to rest, from fear to peace, and from confusion to trust. And that's a lot that leads us to our last point, is that you and I need to remember how the story ends. At the end of the Bible, and we've looked at this for the last few weeks, Revelation 21, 22, at the very end of the Bible, we find a new heavens, new earth, that God makes all things new, right? And in this new heavens, a new earth, we find the tree of life. We will live forever. We find vegetation. We find a city. We find a garden, right? We find God's face. God is present with his people. What is not there? There is no sea. If you read the book of Revelation at the end, it says, and in the new heavens and new earth, there is no sea. And what that means is there's no more chaos. So in the new heavens and new earth, there is no more tsunamis. There is, I don't think there's any more viruses. There's no more earthquakes. It's the new heavens and new earth. There's no more cancer. There's no more freak accidents. No more sickness, no more viruses. Now, I just want to say this because some of you right now and what you're going through in life, you're feeling overwhelmed by chaos. There's stuff happening in your life, maybe through a diagnosis or through a friend, through a whatever it could be, but you're in chaos right now. 
And you need to remember that, yes, chaos is part of life, but chaos is limited. That God will meet you in the midst of your chaos and can transform it and bring you to a place of peace and a place of rest, even in the midst of it. In the end, you and I are brought to the point where, as Julian of Norwich in the 14th century puts it, all shall be well. And so we live our lives with the end in mind. We live our lives knowing that all shall be well. Doesn't mean we don't have questions. We still have questions, and that's okay. But we have one before whom we can present these questions. And we can live with the end in sight. We can live now in light of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And I don't know about you, but that, that, those realities, for me, they're enough. They are enough. That I can trust that God is God and I am not. And there are mysteries that I cannot fathom. But he is sovereign. He is good. He'll meet us in the chaos and will transform our mourning into dancing. Well, I hope that helps. Let's, let's, let's pray. God of grace, that is who you are. God of mystery and God of power. Lord, we come before you. And there's times as we were singing today, we, we just cry out for for intimacy, we cry out to, to, to experience your love and your, to know that we are loved. And yet there's also times where we just take off our shoes and we say, man, we are on holy ground. <laughs> that you are God and we are not. And there are so many things that are outside of our realm. And yes, we desire to know them all, but we can't. But we trust two things. One, that you are sovereign and, and good and that you really do love us as much as your son says you do. And so we live in those realities. And Lord, there are some here this morning who are going through chaos and through difficulty. And I pray in the same way that Jesus stretched out his hand over the sea and said, peace, be still, Lord, that you would speak over their hearts. Peace, be still. And grant them your peace in the midst of the storm. Lord, we commit our lives to you. Where are we going to go? There's nowhere we can go. You have the words of eternal life. And so we trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.